Welcome to Beyond Food and Wine, a Le Cordon Bleu podcast. In this podcast, we get some real insight into the food and hospitality industry from a variety of renowned chefs, industry experts, and Le Cordon Bleu alumni. Join us as we hear the fascinating stories and unique experiences behind some of the best known names in the industry. Today, I would like to welcome a culinary superstar in the gastronomy world who creates the dishes with a whimsical touch, entices the foodies with fantasies and characters, and brings in music to the diner's palates. Today's guest needs no special introduction. Chef Gagan Anand put Indian food in fine dining spotlight with his eponymous Bangkok restaurant, Gagan. There, Gagan set out to redefine traditional Indian food with what he calls the progressive Indian cuisine. For four years in a row, 2014 to 2018, Gagan was voted number one in Asia's 50 best restaurants and was ranked number four in was 50 best restaurants in 2019. That was number four. During the last decade, Gagan has backed many accolades, elevating him to a highly regarded celebrity chef, featuring in second season of Chef's Table. Gagan earned his two Michelin star in the first edition of Thailand's Michelin Guide in 2018. It's almost coincidental that both Gagan and I started our culinary journey together exactly 20 years ago this month at a hotel school in India, where we were batchmates. While he pursued his dream of becoming a chef, moved on, I moved on to a different hospitality journey. Ladies and gents, today's session is very special to me as I introduce you to my batchmate, Chef Gagan Anand. Gagan, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for sparing your valuable time. So let's begin, Gagan. Uh, if you can talk us through your journey after graduation from the hotel school until how you reached the, the concept of restaurant Gagan. Yeah, it's a long journey. It's 22 years. That's 20 years. Uh, 23 years if you can from 97 when we met first time. Yeah, uh, 97. Summer of 97. And from there on is 23 years of... I mean, it's a long journey. It's a long road to ruin. So, uh, uh, how do I do? I, I mean, it's a, it's a place where you start with nothing and then you keep on cooking. And that's one thing which is uh, very... Today's world students chefs who are especially in your school and all they want stardom from first day so they think they call themselves a chef the moment they pass out and it's not that i mean you have to learn it's, it's, it's a learning curve and you have to keep cooking and doing things in the end uh, this is something that is uh, what we are missing in today's talent is that they don't have the determination to stay for 10 years and master the art of cooking and then call them as a chef Mm. So, so it's a long journey. It's not just a, a, a certificate on your board. Yeah. And when you started off, I remember the time when you were in the national chef competition in in India. You know, we you were representing our school. No, I uh, did not. Not. Huh? Oh, but you were in the you were in the finals. Huh? I, I I I I was in not in the finals. I I was rejected. I was not good okay. enough. Well, thanks for correction. You know, I remember vividly that you were there in that. I was supposed to be there, but I was rejected. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So you went to Taj after that? 
journey with elbui you did a bit of an apprenticeship with elbui uh, i did a, i did i did a, the kind of a uh, staging at a, not at elbui restaurant but at the labs where there yeah. is a foundation because yeah. uh, at the age of uh, uh, 30 which was 10 years back when i did this 2010 yeah. what happened in 2010 exactly at that moment uh, i had already spent 13 years of cooking so you i was not there a typical stage would be getting into kitchen understanding a kitchen you know peeling things prepping things and if you are extremely good stage you might be allowed to go near a chef you know this is how the industry works and i have passed that and i didn't have that enthusiasm or i had probably my ego that i don't want to be there anymore so i went for understanding what was why was elbuli doing Mm-hmm. and what i could learn from elbuli and bring it to my restaurant and when i met farhan adri he only told me this thing he said first time a asian has come to our lab and when a asian is because they had, had no english as a language so uh we want you to be a kind of a you know plowing a seed of our cuisine not in terms of specified olives or things that they created but using their techniques and what was modern cooking in applying it and amplifying my cuisine to my own food and that's what i did that's exactly what i did and then then rest is history huh well history is rest <laughs> so so how how come bangkok you know we have kind of come around in different cities you you moved to bangkok but then you just made that as an offer i got and then it's exactly how you ended up in london how people end up all over the world uh, opportunities that become a kind of a risk that you take and then those risks pay off in a in in your way sometimes you don't sometimes you have but this is the risk that i paid because gamble and i and i think the gamble worked on my favor now you you meet with so many different uh, top chefs around the world you know michelin stars and probably celebrity chefs what's kind of your relationship with them i know you have a very good close network of friends which you kind of build up in the gastronomy world i think we are we are just people who get drunk together and get uh, completely wasted and uh, i mean some of them are mentors like massimo and the roca brothers and they are amazing some are unapproachable because they are they have a cloud on their head not the chef cap so we don't talk to them and then there are so many humble of them and so many great people of them so yes i have made from uh, chefs friends from santiago in chile mm-hmm. to russia in moscow to everywhere in the world so it's good to know them it's good to understand them it's good to uh, be in their boots and and learn their culture and in this 
uh, exchange. There's so much of knowledge, so much of things that you talk about. How do you, you know, you know, when you told about Massimo Bottura, he is pretty much one of the revered number one right now in the ranking. But more than that, he has made a mark in the way how he has probably transcribed the Italian cuisine to something very high. How was your relationship with him? How do you, what kind of, tell some stories. He's a guru to me. I exchange, I told him a message a few months, few weeks back. I said, Massimo, you are such a high energy guy. And uh, I know it must be very frustrating to lockdown. And he's on this kitchen quarantine series doing live and things from his home. Mm. So I told him the first thing, when they open a flight to Italy, I'm coming to your uh, home, which is his casa, casa Lugi, which is open his hotel, homestay, kind of a great space in Modena. And I'm going to stay there for three nights and eat and have fun with him. You see, so, so we are all looking at that ambition of hope of reconnecting, you know. Uh, it's a good break. And in this break, we realize that we are more approachable. And you talk to many people. Yeah. Who you know, and that's the good part of it. Okay. And your relationship with Rocker Brothers? Ah, very good. I mean, uh, their language is a problem, but whenever I go there, uh, they make a very big menu and you can't eat. It's so big, like you are one. You have to starve one day before and you have to not eat for one more day. So, I mean, Roca Brothers, Massimo, then you have Vargilio uh, uh, from Central, an amazing guy, Quintanil uh, uh, and Jorge from Mexico. There are so many. And Japan is another whole league of chefs. Uh, uh, there's, uh, there's so many chefs all over the world. I mean, it's, it's, the world is quite open and I think um, everybody is very united now. Mm. Uh, uh, Vladimir Mohin from, from uh, Varilio is also a Lake of the Blanc. Uh, yeah. yeah. and, uh, this is another thing. Virgilio, um, he, well, he's in top 10 now. He's an LCB alumni. Um, how, I know you've worked with him a few times. Yeah. Very good friends of mine, uh, great food. One of my top five best ex restaurant experiences of my life. Okay. Extremely good food. Okay. And I believe very that some. Chef. Sorry. Very a very intelligent chef. He is. He is. We had a demonstration almost, uh, you know, he came around one or two years back to London and was something amazing. I believe you have some students and alumni from LCB, other than, you know, you work with quite a few. Yes, a lot. A lot of LCB students, especially in the Bangkok, they come here. And, mm. yeah, they keep spending and, two months. And one of one of the students uh, who has probably hit the headlines in the last few months is from LCB uh, London, uh, Paris, uh, Garima. Oh yes, Garima is uh, now a very famous chef. So yes, she is. But okay. that's her own, own talent. I have nothing to do with it. Well, I'm sure there will be a bit of a inspiration from you and probably your interaction. She, a, she had a dream to be the best female chef. She had a dream to run a restaurant under her name. I did that. I gave her the name Ga and then made sure that she had a restaurant. And then it's her journey. That's good. And in that Ga, is there anything in reference of Garnet? No. It's Garima Arora. Fortunately, unfortunately, both of us are GNA. I was very much thinking so, but it's so coincidental there. Yes. And then uh, uh, now she's a rebel like me. So she's got her own rebels. And 
how come you have this kind of a nature which you don't find many chefs having this kind of a rebel nature and has that made you a bit more standing out well it has to a certain extent you know me i've not changed a bit from what i was so there's a people tell me i've become arrogant i've become unapproachable people have become like that but uh, i can't change people's conception about me and how misconception they are but one thing i can definitely tell is that whenever whoever and wherever if i meet someone after 20 years i'll recognize a person and i'll give a hug okay so this is something which is me and i think uh, we should not forget our roots mm. and we should always remember who we were and where we were from uh, in the end uh, it doesn't matter you're from lcb or from any college or wherever you're from whichever background you have the most important thing is that uh, uh, we should remember where we came from and pride ego is kind of a feather on a chef's hat mm. if you don't take pride in what you cook and if you don't have the ego to support your cause you will not be a chef you cannot be the chef then you just be a cook but what makes the biggest difference is even when you just take your hat out and leave it separately that's when you become a human and that's most important that's it what inspire you to cook new dishes I, I think uh, inspiration is life, people. Uh, how I perceive uh, cooking, and right now, whatever I've inspired, we have to think about how COVID has changed our lives. So we have to be very uh, hygienic and very precautionary in our approach. And most importantly, we should be very safe with our customers. So the fine dining, the way it was. and the way it will be are two different things and i think uh, this imagine 10 years from now and we don't have a vaccine for covid and it becomes mm-hmm. like a flu or hiv which we live with although the way it spreads but let's not go to the debate we are not scientists but what if it becomes the new normal is the normal okay and if somebody who is sitting beside you is a covid guy and you know his covid but you are not scared of it like a hiv guy but in a way it's a new normal it could be a new normal exactly. and in that situation this might become a subject in your college that how to cook in covid era i'm sure there will be a lot of literature going around in this particular aspect of covid and it has changed the world it has changed the way how we deal with and how we kind of possibly will have to make a man with but it's a new normal as you say Yes, and and for me on honestly, I mean we just have to survive this period, not look at the business. I mean every day we take this big meeting between the most important people in our restaurant. I just finished one, and uh, where we were discussing what to do, how to. So I said, if we have ten seats, we are lucky. Mm-hmm. If we have twenty seats, we are full house, and we used to do fifty seats a day. So we are at one fourth of our chance of business. Our menu is half the price of what it could be. Mm-hmm. but this is the only way we can survive so that i can pay them salary on time that's the only way mm. could you could you talk talk about some of the new projects you're working on oh i'm working on a coffee chain which is a which is a, a fashion brand the number one street fashion brand in thailand who have also all the sneaker brands and all the collabs 
and with them i'm launching a new coffee chain because what i've understood is after covid you cannot do any more investments in fine dining so i want to invest my time and my love for coffee in a coffee uh, environment in a, in a place where uh, we have it's c as celsius mm. and it's got this degree on top c degree yeah and then this cafe as coffee chill and carnival carnival is a brand that i'm tying up so this is this is going to be a funky place so and when is it, when is the opening we're at the very initial planning so we are looking at about uh, q4 by then we will know where we stand in covid also you know so confidence bringing back people yeah and it's, it's going to be like a 15 dollar restaurant so it's going to be very cheap okay and it's in bangkok do you have any plans to no bangkok bangkok okay what about the the concept which you started very recently miss maria and mr singh uh, miss maria and mr singh we started uh, the planning was that uh, we opened gagan anand and within the first few months of the money that comes in we'll put into another restaurant a easier spot for people to go for my curry house kind of a place mm. so we started project in december january february it went on a little higher and higher and higher and uh, and february we closed the place and uh, for renovation and then uh let's say march 6th we were ready to open and okay. and covid was already knocking our doors in a very big way and then we said should we open should we delay should we do after covid what are the consequences but we opened in the second week we were full house and the last day of closing we were full house and uh, after that i mean uh, closing to that could actually that, that was the only restaurant that supported me for two months okay it take away and then we opened it two weeks back and now it's okay it's, it's surviving on its own so i think uh, times like these i mean uh, teaches you lesson and i was brave enough with my team everyone mm-hmm. in there that we would open the restaurant two weeks before we could lock it wow <laughs> yeah but but we opened what what choice you have does does your celebrity status gives a bit of an advantage in terms of marketing this advantage what if my restaurant is empty for 10 days and people post a photo of kagan anand restaurant is empty <laughs> yeah but what but has it well but at least at least for the takeaway concept what you have started right now during this particular uh, time has that um, has that kind of generated a bit more of attention do you think that will kind of change the way the the eating out culture will change the eating in eating out will there be a bit of a dynamics especially in a, a market like bangkok i think we live in this fear factor mm. and uh, actually uh, two days back i wrote a long letter Mm. to publish that on instagram today it's about my feelings and how we were and how covid has struck our industry so hard mm. so hard that we are pushed back 10 years can not agree with you no it is yeah, to agree with you yeah. yeah so my personal experience with what is covid and how it's going to affect us in the future mm. i mean look at this. i don't know how many students are right now in your college 
and how many have passed out recently and they all will be jobless not because chefs are not valuable but they have no job so yeah. it's a very tough situation and a very frustrating one so that's why i was looking through everything and then i sat i took this 3 hour side of time on a computer and wrote my heart out so it's three parts of a letter it's me past me present and me future and that's something which you should read tonight and in my instagram i'll post it tonight and 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 and, and this is something which i i believe in and when i think uh, uh, we are very uh, right now in a very uh, difficult era yeah and yeah. and come and the more famous you are is the more difficult to come back the pressure is more on you i i can totally understand that i can totally understand that what does the concept of progressive indian cuisine mean to you how did this idea come to you oh i think uh, <laughs> very easy i think it was uh, i didn't want to do modern indian i didn't want to do uh, uh, fusion indian i didn't want to do fine dining indian these are three the words i hate with indian food first indian food is not modern it's so classical it's got thousands of years of history than any other cuisine mm-hmm. okay. uh, our dishes are not even like 200 or 300 years old our dishes are more than that our food has been altered for thousands of years yeah. so we were never using tomatoes and green chilies until the spanish came in our our curries were used with tamarind how you have south indian cuisine so these are things that have been altered and altered and tempered and because of the tempering and altering our cuisine has changed to different curves and what is happening is i did not want that cuisine to be modern i wanted to be progressive from progressing from where it is mm. where it was and where it can be and that is very important that is very important because even if my food looks like a food from a ufo from a alien the moment you put your mouth it takes you to that memory that you were in as a kid if you were indian mm. and that is only an indian can understand that emotion or somebody is connected to india yeah yeah as a culture that's so diverse like the indian culture how did you approach trying to understand the diversity in indian cuisine and are there parts of indian cuisine that you are yet to explore and are you going to be excited about this exploration of this the non uh, areas of uh, the cuisines within india which you have not kind of touched base on yeah i have not done kashmiri food because i have never been to kashmir mm. i have a lot of influence of kerala because we spent 3 years in kerala correct yeah so it's spice it's how i hate that stupidity i'll give you an example there was this indian chef Yeah. young kid from australia who came to my restaurant as a stager okay and my team is like 30 people now and 30 guest chefs are almost 27 of them or 28 of them were stagers in my restaurant mm-hmm. no one was hired as a chef everybody starts you did good i gave you a chance of trial you are in my team mm-hmm. when this indian guy came there was another guy from spain same age and they gave back to back trials the spanish guy made spanish dishes which he would cook for me when i am in home mm-hmm. his 
the Indian guy cooked Peruvian food for me because he worked in a Peruvian restaurant. The Spanish guy's food was so good and my expectation was the Indian guy would make better food and he completely disappointed me because he's never been to Peru. His ceviche was not cold. And that made me an obvious choice that the guy from Spain was more closer to his own heart of cooking. Mm. I asked this question to the Indian guy. I said, why did you fuck it up? Why couldn't you just cook a dal? So I gave him a second trial. Mm -hmm. I told him, I did. you see, I have to be fair to the guy. You know, he can call me a racist, he can call me anything. So I gave him a second trial and I told him, can you cook Indian food? He doesn't know how to make a puri. He doesn't know make how to fulka. He doesn't know how to make a dal. Mm -hmm. Then why are you working in my restaurant? Because the Spanish guy is like an empty glass of water and he will learn more. Because you think you're Indian and you know everything and you don't even know your own cuisine, but you're more, you think you know Peruvian food and you don't know Peruvian food also. Mm -hmm. And that's the crux of the problem. That's, I, I like the way how you put that, the crux of the problem. Yes. In fact, that is one of the issues what we possibly face around. It's just a myriad of cuisines going around and there's the identity probably just loses. In and that's answer the question that I would never cook any dish from India, which I've never tasted or never been in my memory. Mm. I will never do that. I'm not supposed to do that. A French chef takes more pride in a pot of foo or a croissant or a bread or a sourdough or something in a roulette or something that he's been eating from his grandma. Doesn't mm. Massimo creating the modern face of Italy doesn't serve you the best tortellini? He might serve you the crispy part of lasagna, but he also serves you the classic tortellini. Mm. So this is something very important. You have to represent your, your culture. Correct. And India is a very diverse culture. In Kerala, there are seven different layers of cuisine. The Mamaran cuisine, the Southern cuisine, the Muslim cuisine, the Syrian Christian cuisine. There's so many. The coastal cuisine, the, the hillside cuisine, the Trichur cuisine. There's so many layers of cuisine. Even the uptown and the dosas are different. You ask a non-Indian, he would know only one dosa. Mm. If, if he knows a dosa. I mean, for a dosa to a dosa to a chamandi to everything, a chamandi and a chutney are two different things made of the same ingredient and cooked probably for the same way. Correct, yeah. In, in Tamil Nadu and a sambur in, in Mysore and a sambur in Kerala are five different things. Correct. So this is why it is. Your culture, if you come from that part, you understand. That's why my fishes. I cook, I always like sweet fishes. I hate very uh, mackerel, sardine, because if I was from Kerala, I would be raised on that kind of fish, the kingfish, the mackerel, and the sardines. Yeah. But I was from Bengal, so the fishes were sweeter there. Yeah. And that's why I have a more inclination to uh, sweet fish, cold water fishes. Correct. You know, yeah. you know? So, so this is how, and I would value mustard oil in a fish, and coconut oil in a, in my beef. <laughs> That's a very, very good way to kind of equate it, yes. But that is what I learned from eating, from cooking, from where I've been. But I will never attempt to cook progressive Kashmiri cuisine. I've never been to Kashmir. Mm. How can I do it? It's never seen there. I'm not living one, one day in Kashmir. Yeah. 
Yeah, I'm born as a Punjabi. I'm supposed to cook Punjabi food, but I cook home Punjabi food because I've never lived in Punjab. And that's <laughs> Rajasthan. So what I like, if I travel, I've been to Rajasthan like 20 times. So I have gaver in my menu. Mm. No, I like good. So this is something of a French chef who's from Alsace will cook Alsatian cuisine. Mm. A French chef who's from Loire will cook Loire cuisine or from southern cuisine. A French chef who's from Nice will be more coastal and Mediterranean. Correct. Yeah. So these are a few things how you look at the terroir, your culture, and how you bring that to the cuisine. Mm. Interesting. Uh, referring to an Instagram post uh, earlier, which was full of wisdom regarding slowing down. How can you slow down and move faster as a consequence? Oh, I think uh, you can't put a seventh gear on the first time in the car. I mean, you have to go by gear, by gear, by gear, by gear. Uh, that doesn't mean the car cannot run fast. But if you apply the gear in the right motion, if you take steps, we were fast in innovating a new menu. Yeah. We were fast to create a 18 course and a 15 course menu, new one. We were fast to adapt to COVID, mm. but mm. we'll be slow to sell it. We'll take steps by step. Yeah. So yeah. being fast is exactly prioritizing how you prioritize your speed. And during COVID times, you take a step back and rethink what you've done. I can guarantee you there are many chefs who will rethink say, I don't want to be a chef. And I can guarantee you there are many people from different backgrounds thinking like, oh, I can cook in home so I can be a chef. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Yes, it is. What advice would you give to a non-Indian chef in order to start using Indian techniques and ingredients in their cooking without losing the essence of the country's cuisine? Okay, let me tell you three things which were invented in India. One, sugar. Sugar was invented in India. 3,000 years back, the first reference to sugar were then Persians who came to India before Christ and tasted something sweet from sugarcane, which was resembling the taste of honey from flowers. Mm -hmm. That was the first reference. And that's why after 2,000 years, when the Chinese pilgrims came to India to learn Buddhism, took back the sugar, that's why shu and gur, sugar, gur, the word gur, yep. you know, yeah, yep. molasses. Yep. Now, took this sugar to China and clarified it to the crystal sugar we know today. And that's why the crystal sugar in India is called chini or Chinese. Mm, yeah. Yeah, you didn't knew this, right? So, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> so you see, and sugar is one of the most important ingredients in the world. Second, pepper, from where you come from. Yes. And gold. Right. Pepper. Now, pepper, I don't need to talk about. Every world uses pepper. Every world uses sugar. Two out of the three most important commodities in a kitchen has come from India. Salt is from Egypt. So, yeah. now you can understand how old our cuisine is and how it's influenced every kitchen. Now, the problem is that there is no evidential, no doctrine, because it is so domesticated that I also believe that frying was invented in India. 
the way we have exploited frying, the way frying is everywhere, nowhere in the world can people fry with so many flours and in so many techniques. When I make my jalebi batter and I give it to Japanese chefs, they ask me, can you make that tempura batter is the most crispiest tempura batter. Mm. Tempura, which is a Japanese cuisine, has traveled from Portuguese monks from Goa to Japan and became a fried dish there. It evolved, it changed. It's exactly like how Japanese cuisine 150 years back traveled to Peru and became a Nikkei cuisine, which is not Japanese and not Peruvian. Yeah. So this transformations, this, this cultural changes are amazing. And the fourth very important part is mozzarella. I am 100% sure with my knowledge and the R&D that I've done and the historians have spoken is that the water buffaloes from India were migrated like pepper on a pepperoni. Mm. Oh. Exactly. These buffaloes were used to carry things in the silk route, not in the spice route. And they ended up near Rome. And that's where mm -hmm. near Pestum and all these places where mozzarella became exactly how buffalo mozzarella becomes a paneer in India or a ricotta. <laughs> the only thing is they applied their cheese techniques to buffalo milk. And that's why only in Italy you have buffalo milk. You don't have it in France, you don't have it anywhere because of the Roman trading, because of Venice, because of the merchants. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting so, you mentioned about this because we had a a cheese lecture from one of the cheese brains of Britain, who's called Tom Batcock. He made some references pretty much similar to what you were talking about, the water buffalo coming into Italy and the, the routes which they took. Yeah, the buffalo came from India. It came from India and mm -hmm. the, the silk route. So this is, if people ask me, how can Indian cuisine? Indian cuisine has not just influenced the world. We've been influencing the world for a very long time. You want to learn Indian food? Learn how to fry without a temperature. Without that stupid gadget, that thermometer. You don't need a thermometer to fry. Ask an Indian, he'll tell you how to fry a well. We feel the temperature. Do you put a thermometer inside an egg when you make a poached egg? No. In exactly same way in India, you don't need to make a thermometer. Do you put a thermometer inside a tandoor to put a naan bread or a kebab? No, you feel the heat. And these are techniques which you need to learn and implement. There are so many techniques in India. The way we cook lentils, the way we cook rice. We are the masters of cooking rice. Every cuisine in the world will cook rice glutinously, sticking to each other. We are the only one who can make a rice so long and so thin and so flaky. Yeah. And that only can come with technique. Right. Yeah. Would you would you would you advise Marcello, for example, or any of the the non-Indians who would like to kind of explore the the Indian cuisine? Is maybe it's better for them to kind of travel around within the within the country and probably learn some techniques as well. Yes. And and one thing I hate about, which of course being in London, is that uh that uh in uh I hate the word curry. Okay. And mm -hmm. not any day, huh? Yeah, it and is a kind of a heavily misconstrued uh, yeah. misconstrued word. There is there is no word curry under the British Daughters English. 
Okay. So we have no word. There are, we have words which is in Kerala food. Uh, a mean moili has no word called curry, but that mean moili becomes a madras curry or a South Indian fish curry. And that's a disaster. Because a mean moili is a mean moili. A pump is a appam. A toran or a, a dal or a palak paneer are dishes named after the ingredients. Mm -hmm. Alu gobi is alu potatoes and cauliflower. These are not curries, and that's not a bloody masala, and not everything has a garam masala. <laughs> so these are the yeah, it's a stupid thing. And they are, I meet these famous chefs, and they say, Ah, I want to put curry in my chocolate. And then this, I see they buy some packaged uh, tandoori garam masala curry flavor into the chocolate. It's a crap, it's pure crap. I told them, Just put curry leaves in your chocolate, it tastes like curry. Ah, Gagan, yeah, I said, Yeah, curry. If, if if the Romans were under the rule of British for 300 years, under British influence for 200 years, and then the language of Italian was completely transformed into English, then the 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 the, the, the Italian cuisine would have called basin. Yeah. And French cuisine would have been called thyme or rosemary. <laughs> <laughs> That's an interesting take in that. Okay. <laughs> so... Has living in Thailand inspired you to use any Thai elements in your dish? And on the same aspect, how do you overcome the language difficulty and how long did it take for you to beat that? Uh, very easy. Uh, uh, language is uh, definitely to have uh, Thai girlfriends and a Thai wife. It helps. And then have more girlfriends in life. You're, you're married to a Thai lady. Yes. Yeah, I was married. I'm divorced now. So, oh, sorry. So, yeah. It's yeah. okay. No, it's, but uh, but uh, yeah, my girlfriend is Thai, and uh, so Thai, of course, knowing the language, respecting the language and the culture. I'm living here for 14 years. My passport is Indian, and I will never give up my passport and citizenship. Mm. But uh, my daughter is Thai. Okay, so uh, Thai is very important. Uh, second is uh, uh, in Thai cuisine, the most important thing is that I get my chilies. The cuisine here again is. We call it curry. We call this is jungle curry, green curry, um, uh, sweet and sour prawn curry, or red curries. But here again, they are not in Thai dishes and Thai names. When we eat something sweet, mm. curry that is sweetened with coconut or something like that, like a real tom yum has no coconut milk. No coconut milk. Every Thai eats tom yum without coconut milk. But when you go to a restaurant which is with foreigners, they will always have a coconutty sweet kind. So this is another one example where how the cuisine has been bastardized to the foreign language. Mm -hmm. But what has happened is in this era that I've lived in Bangkok for 14 years, suddenly Thai cuisine is coming up. And it's coming up from those boundaries of being a foreign targeted cuisine where you should have Pad Thai in the menu and things to more ethnic southern cuisine or things like that, that were never there. So it might burn people off, but in a way, the chili culture is being protected by not being sweetened to foreign taste. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Uh, you know, you've, you've traveled extensively in your culinary journey. Is there a place where you have become very attached to? Japan, heavy. Okay. And and yesterday also I ate sushi in, a, in a, the best omakase restaurant here. And I think um, I just miss Japan. I love Japan. 
it has really changed me my cooking for last seven years <laughs> and because of that cooking changes my food looks different behave different and yet taste lagan i would have never there's no raw dish in india there's no raw dish there's nothing raw in india everything is cooked from green to brown and brown to black you know every yeah. meat yeah we don't know what is raw i mean i would actually really be interesting if you get a, a very experienced japanese chef and get him the fresh catch of the day from kerala or from south india or goa and he uses those fish and cure it and make sushi Mm. It would be interesting, very interesting. Yeah. 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 Maybe but, maybe version 2.0 of Nikkei cuisine. Yeah, but 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 nobody will eat it, and that's the crux again of a problem. So Japan has given me a taste, a culture, and an acquaintance to raw cuisine, and most importantly to highlight an ingredient in a menu. Mm. cooking is a very easy job look at classic cuisine when you eat a breakfast nothing can beat you your favorite omelet or your fried egg sunny side up or a poached egg with hollandaise you can do 25 variations of everything else but nothing can beat that experience with a nice bread or a croissant yeah. and a simple yeah. orange juice and a nice coffee we don't want that 300 dishes in the buffet <laughs> it's a, it's a hardcore factor and that's why many hotels especially luxury and boutique category are doing a la carte breakfast yeah it saves cost it gives more satisfaction to the customer and my eggs are cooked to my will yeah yeah makes sense makes sense are you are you having a, a plan to open up a concept in japan maybe next year let's see yeah what about london uh no not yet let's okay. see any other destinations on the card ah uh, the whole world is on the card but the shopping card is empty there's no balance on the credit card <laughs> <laughs> okay well i think i think with the kind of established network what you have created i i don't think there will be an issue for you to start anywhere in the world i think people will be ready to kind of embrace you and the uh, and the concept especially in a in a city like london where if you can look at it in last 5 years personally from the origin you know from a, as an indian origin i i found it very difficult to kind of replicate good indian cuisine in london in the early years of my living here but in the last 5 years i have to admit we have moved leaps and bounds in terms of the the offering which has been done within yes. the indian spectrum yeah i mean we've gone down to my favorite restaurant indian restaurant in london is quilong yes it's one of my favorite indian restaurant not a kebab house correct yeah yeah it's one of my favorite it's south indian is amazing the chef there is a fantastic chef great talent yeah and indian food so these are few things that i think were the first basic step to change london's attitude towards indian food because i call mm-hmm. london as mini india yeah It, everything is there is a, you know a lot of indian restaurants a lot of indian chefs have gained respect there 
the other part about I think is now is that uh, you will see explosion of extremely good restaurants coming all over the world. Mm. Because last three months, if you look positively, so many people have got so many creative ideas. All yeah. they need is to implement it. Mm. Yeah, no, it's, it makes sense. Are you taking interns now? This is a question, probably not. Yeah, of course. Can we first be all safe and alive and yes. come back to normal life, and then definitely apply for internship? Let Nitin coordinate for that for you. Yeah. Which chef in the world did you look up to? Ah, uh, there is a uh, three actually. Uh, one is a uh, uh, chef Dennis who taught you and me cooking. Yes. Okay. We should Dennis never forget. Dennis Matthew. I'm always in touch with him. Icon. Uh, yeah, icon. Yeah. Dennis Matthew who taught us. K Rajshekar also two of them who taught yes, us. And uh, they might be not skilled to what we have become, but. We have to understand that we learn how to break an egg from them. Correct. Yeah. No questions asked. Yeah, no questions yeah. So the first guy who teaches you cooking. Second is my mom who taught me how to cook differently. And she didn't teach me, she taught me taste. Who raised me the way I am. Thirdly is uh, uh, Arvind Saraswat, who's passed up. Uh, he's not there, late Chef Arvind Saraswat from Taj. He was kind of mentor at those times. And he made me what I became in the first one, two years. And then is, of course, Farhan Adria's team of chefs, not one person, but the whole team. Because yes, he is the guy, he's the name behind it, but the whole chef team there. Yeah. And most importantly, is this 30 chefs who stick with me. Because they have become so smart. Mm. And when I see them, and I feel like, wow, they are the ones I trained and they are smarter than me. They are the future. How sweet of you to admire and appreciate the, the brigade of yours. Yes, very important. Good. Um, thank you for that. Since the lockdown in, in Bangkok, in terms of the, the restaurants, you have moved on to uh, the takeaway concept a little. Would you would you continue to do that in future? Post the restrictions once everything. Yeah, yeah. It's all the as well takeaways. I think takeaway is now becoming the new habit and always living in big cities and big chef. And do I ever find a takeaway counter? No man, it's beyond my dignity. I'm fucking fine dining guy. You have to do that very takeaway. <laughs> if you don't do takeaway, you won't survive. So that gives the opportunity that you can be in the takeaway market. <laughs> okay. Uh, how's Maria and uh, Singh doing in terms of the concoction of the new Mexican Indian uh, concept? Is it is it being received very well in the Bangkok market? Super well. We I told you we were full house on one day before lockdown, and now we are doing weekends full house. Well, of course, full house means twenty five seats, the social distancing, two meters difference between one table to the other. Yeah, yeah. Yes. and no alcohol sale. Hmm. <laughs> that's that's true. And there's we we covered quite a few of those things around the inspiration of using ingredients and also in, incorporating into Indian cuisine, but also different uh, ingredients. 
we talked about quite a few. Since understanding Indian food for your customers, have you considered rep representing the culture and food in India instead in Thailand because India currently lacks mentors and leaders like you? No. Who am I to represent 1.3 billion people? <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I just live my dream and I just follow my way. I, I don't look at who comes from where and what. I don't, I am not, uh, I'm not in that, uh, I'm not in, in, in that league. I'm not in here, uh, in, uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's no point. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's no point thinking negative. And there's no point claiming that you don't. I'm not. A, I'm not a superhero. I'm not Muhammad Ali. I just live my life the way I am, and I just enjoy cooking. That's it. Okay. Yeah. No. Also, yeah. going forward, do you think vegetarian and veganism rule the world of cuisine? No, should not. <laughs> you have your own diet. You have your own choice. I want to be vegan. Be vegan. If you don't want to be a vegan, don't force your vegan terrorism to anyone. Yeah. Somebody likes to eat meat, let them be. They are in the same jungle, a cow, and in the same jungle, there's a lion. Choose what you want to be. A cow is a good-looking animal, a deer is a beautiful-looking animal, and the lion hunts the animals. Okay? But the, yeah, it's exactly, you're in the same jungle. Let, let peace be, and let nature take its call. Why should we bloody go and do things that we don't want to do? Don't force your religion on food. Good. Now, I, I think we need to, I'm just going to wrap it up very soon. As a South Asian, I've got a question. As a South Asian, uh, this is from Sasha. She struggles that the most progressive cuisine or dishes and tasting menus are plated in a way that originates in the Western tradition. So she finds it beautiful and creative. We can always impart our flavors or textures into this style, but this is not how South Asians eat food. Have you ever dealt with this and do you think there's a way to reconcile this? I think for last, my resume, for last 10 years is dealing with this crap. None of my dishes look Asian or South Asian or Western. I don't put flowers on any dishes unless it belongs there and has a taste. I don't put sauces and it's a learning journey. 2012, 13, I used to. 14, 15, no. And that's why from 15, I being an Indian has proved it that not that I'm the greatest Asian chef ever, but for four years in a row, an Indian chef doing progressive Indian cuisine whose dishes did not look Indian or Western or Asian, but looked like me. Your dish should look like your art. When a painter as Van Gogh or a painter as Vinci or a painter like any other artist in the world, he doesn't paint Asian or Western or this or a Japanese painter doing Japanese art. You do your art and let your art dignify you and represent you. That's yeah, the world map. I can say out of 25 courses that we did, mm. only three were with spoons and fork. Out of that, 22 were eaten by hands or touched by hands. Mm. And I think that dignifies my country. And I got, when the mission inspector came to my restaurant, he was licking the plate and I said, I, said, I, said, I will not get a star. <laughs> I got two stars. 
exactly the two stars that a French restaurant got. Two French restaurants got, and mm. only me in the first and, year. And that was the first year itself. You got straight into this two star. Yeah, and then I got two stars again, which was again the two stars. And then last year I was not in. I was closed. There was nothing. And let's see, after COVID, what happened? I might lose a star. I will get a star. It doesn't make a difference. Will it make me decide to do a dish? Will it make my dish look more French? Because French is a Michelin guide. No, we should never do that. Don't run for stars. Stars are amazing, but you should do what you like. Right. Maybe if you can just very quickly wrap on two things. How will you manage a few businesses by yourself and make sure it runs properly? So you are looking into different projects. Do you have a, a solid management team? You grow. I have eighty people who work with me directly. Mm -hmm. This is one of the offices. Okay. 80 people directly and I have 300 other people working with other restaurants where I'm partner. We identify talent and I raise them. I don't hire talent over talent. You raise people from your own talent and, and trust them with responsibility. They will make mistakes. It's human. But you just give them the responsibility. They will learn. But they will be always with you in good and bad times. Very good. Very good. Yeah. Gagan, I think I think you have taken you know you've given us a very good time of yours you know you know it's a thank you for sparing this valuable time. I will make it a kind of a wrap now and uh, once again from bottom of my heart and also I'm sure the audience here would probably very much appreciate uh, talking to you in a very unfiltered way. I have to put that. Yeah, I told you that was my condition. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, well. That is you, and that's what you made. That's how you've been kind of portrayed as well. And you know, we cannot change anybody here. But that's that's something which is very good to give a very unfiltered comment and a prospect of how the world has moved on, especially in gastronomy, and how the business has moved on, and how the the new normal needs to be kind of embraced in the world of gastronomy and hospitality in general. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to catch up with you. Thank you once again, and, and, and I really hope to see you sometime very soon in London, and we'll be ready to host you for a demonstration here. Well, next time in London, we'll definitely catch up. Sure. But uh, so for the audience, thanks once again. Uh, all of you, stay safe, uh, stay healthy, and I think that's a wrap. Thank you, thank you all. Thank you, man. Be safe. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Beyond Food and Wine, a Le Cordon Bleu podcast. Keep up to date with all our news and episodes by following us on social media or by signing up to our newsletter. Links are included in the episode notes. Until next time, a bientôt.